Welcome to Be Loud Radio Hour. We are so delighted that you decided to join us. Every week, we'll share the voices, stories, and music from kids all over New Orleans. Isn't that just exciting? But hey, dude, let me keep it frank with you. Turn up your radio, your phone, whatever you're listening to, because it's about to get really good. Like, it's about to get lit up in here. And so, just turn it up, and you won't miss an episode. Be loud. Be loud. Be courageous every day. That's what I'm talking about. Every year, Be Loud sits down with Lead New Orleans, a nonprofit partner that equips emerging creatives with skills, tools, and resources to transform how local media serves our communities. Last month, our DJs connected with Lead fellows and staff to learn more about the reporting on the impact of prisons on the city of New Orleans. We were also joined by staff members of Flick, families and friends of Louisiana's incarcerated children, as they shared more about their work in transforming the systems that put children at risk of prisons. We are incredibly grateful to these two organizations for coming through to talk to Be Loud, inspire new questions and ideas among our DJs, and to listen to what they had to say about their own experience. Please stay tuned and listen to three awesome conversations from our time with Lead and Flick. Thank you. Yo, what's up? I'm your DJ LOLA, living out loud always here with Carolina, DJ Cotto. Okay, and what is what? is the inspiration for Lead New Orleans? Mm, Lead New Orleans is about empowering young people in New Orleans who come from communities that have been neglected by the systems in place to empower them to learn storytelling skills across all kinds of digital media. So it's um, writing, audio production, video, photo, all kinds of storytelling um, so that we can reshape the narratives around our communities in New Orleans. Nice, that's really amazing. And abolition due to affect the future in our youth. Well, you know, considering that a lot of our youth are incarcerated directly because of punishments that they receive in the school system, uh, prison abolition would stop that. Right. If we had no prisons, then youth would not be incarcerated for infractions at the school, like for not wearing the right uniform, like somebody said, or, you know, for um, getting into a fight or for not having their homework or whatever. Like they wouldn't be the the risk of going to school would not be incarceration anymore. OK. And how are the prison systems in the south differ from the prisons, prison systems in the north? Mm, that's an interesting question. I don't know if I know that other than I know the South is um, like the most diverse region of the country, you know, um, and I know that disproportionately across the country, um, 
black and brown people are incarcerated at a higher rate than white people. So if the South is more diverse, then by default, we're incarcerating more black and brown people than in the North, right? Okay, and that brings me to my next questions. Are the primary kids being incarcerated color kids? And if so, what can we do to stop that? Mm, that's also a great question. You know, given that in general, um, more black and brown people are incarcerated, I would say that that's also true for young people who get incarcerated, right? Um, and part of what we could do about that has to do with how we invest in black and brown communities as a whole because why are black and brown children being targeted in schools is it because of just intrinsic racism in the system yes and also is it because perhaps they don't have the money to buy a school uniform right or they don't have the money to get taken to school on time so they have to be tardy right so it's like how can we um, support the communities as a whole in order to prevent those children from being incarcerated and if you're not able to abolish prisons, what would you do to help improve or fix the prison system? Mm. I feel like I have to think about that because the prison system is so entrenched with a for-profit model and a, a biased um, criminal justice and law enforcement system. So I'm not sure how we could maintain prisons and improve them. Perhaps, like, we can ban, like, solitary confinement. That would be one thing that I would think. Um, and then also we could ban, like, minimum mandatory sentences so that, like, I know somebody who went to uh, prison for 20 years for stealing a credit card, um, which is not even a violent crime. But 20 years is, like, half of a person's life, if, you know, if they're 40. Um, so by abolishing, like, mandatory minimums, it could be helped with that, you know. All right. Well, thank you for listening. I'm your DJ LOLA, Living Out Loud, always here with DJ Caro, and this is Be Loud Radio. Hello, I'm DJ Golfer here with... Alexis Reed. DJ Bird. So lead as a whole is talking about the topic of prison abolition and all the things and the baggage that comes along with that. Do you want to tell us a little bit how LEAD chose this topic? Yes, of course. So the way it works is in my role and alongside our community engagement coordinator, we go out to events and we survey people um, and we ask them what topics do you want to what topics need to be covered more in news and media uh, to make sure that we're hearing from like locals, from community members. Um, so that might look like tape. We're promoting um, our our um, survey that way and collecting it through um, online collection. Um, so we really survey community members on what topics they want to see covered. Uh, we review that. We do that for let's just say about three to six months. Uh, but we make sure to do it before our next cohort. Um, I, alongside the community engagement coordinator, we review uh, the top three. And then from there, we allow the incoming cohort of fellows to select those top three topics. So youth incarceration was one of the top three things that we heard from community members. But we wanted to make sure 
um, through all of our coverage that we're providing another angle when we report on topics, especially heavy topics like youth incarceration. So we, what we normally see with um, news and media around youth incarceration is, um, you know, young folks who are escaping jail, for example, or either young folks who are going to jail for um, breaking in cars. Um, but what we don't see is like, what does rehabilitation look like? Why are people committing those crimes? What led them there? Um, how do we prevent this? What does um, transformative justice looks like? Look like? Um, what are alternatives to the system? Um, and that's also what led to what does a prison-free New Orleans look like? Because we don't necessarily have to have the system, and that system that came that came at the end when slavery ended. That's when this system really picked up. And it mostly incarcerates black folks. And it was mostly black folks who were enslaved. Excuse me, all black folks who were, in, not all, but mostly black folks were enslaved in America. And then there was a system of um, incarceration that really picked up. How can youth incarceration affect our community in New Orleans? I would say it affects it negatively in part because it's harming young people, even if they did do something that was bad or that was wrong. It's like by incarcerating them and putting them in a cage and um, having them like in cuffs and treating them like animals like that, that further, that makes things worse as opposed to better. And that doesn't teach people why what they did might have been wrong. Um, I think... It also just affects community because it's like, well, how does that affect the next generation if there is people being incarcerated and incarceration harms people as it is? So, like, how does that affect families, for example, um, to have a young person um, who's away, who are who's hours away at a different facility, who's being mistreated like that affects family members. So imagine, you know, if you had a younger sibling who was incarcerated like that would affect you emotionally on a day-to-day -day basis you can't physically see them um and again that facility w that houses um young folks who are incarcerated that's hours away from new orleans that's not a close drive so that i would say youth incarceration really affects families and in particular it affects black families how can prison affect black boys in america Thank you for asking that. I would say um, it further pushes the black males away from the family. And as it is in America, um, many black households are being led by uh, single black single black mothers. So as it is, some some kids already don't have the father in the home. And then also when they go to school, for example, it's mostly um, white female teachers. They're not seeing a lot of black males. Um, so it's like incarceration is worse because like it just keeps push it pushes um, black males away from support. Um, and, and the reason why some of them are there is because like they're being pushed out from schools. Um, so I think it just further affects like the family, you know, like imagine, you know, your sibling being incarcerated in Louisiana. That's not a short drive just to go visit them. That physical facility is hours away. So that affects the family because like they can't be with their loved one. It's difficult to speak to them. But also that's difficult for the black boy who would be incarcerated to not have access to support. Um, and also the treatment there is terrible. Like that can call that can make them feel worse and that can lead to mental health issues and making them feel like people don't care about them. 
but it's not true. It's just it's difficult for families to have access um, in Louisiana to um, young people who they know who are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And education, too, because you got to think about it. They're still teenagers. They're not adults yet, so. Yeah, so that's the other thing. I feel like there, I feel like there's not enough um like empathy and support for young black boys in their development especially as teenagers and i feel like unfortunately they're either i feel like unfortunately they don't get seen as like young adults or teenagers who are like still growing unfortunately they get treated like you know adults and that's how we ended up seeing them like going to angola or they get treated like you know they're monsters or they're menaces to society and that's just not true or criminals yeah well, thank you so much, Alexis. Uh, once again, this is DJ Bird. DJ Golfer. Alexis Reed. And we're from Bilad Studios here at 826. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Lux. I'm with Be Loud Studios, and today I'll be interviewing Antonio from Flick. Absolutely. So I'm Antonio Travis. Uh, I'm the youth organizing manager and chapter leader with families and friends of Louisiana's incarcerated children. And we are basically an organization that um, organizes our impacted families on the ground to uh, eradicate youth prisons and invest money into the communities. And when you do that by centering the voices of the most impacted. So that looks a multitude of different ways because this work is very complex. So one day you're advocating on behalf of a parent who has a kid incarcerated. The next day you're in Baton Rouge in front of the governor's mansion with, with signs. So this work, this work takes you everywhere. Um, and ultimately it's for the goal of having kids be treated like kids. And not monsters. So, yeah. One of the big things that my mom, who works at the ACLU, has said is if you treat kids like monsters, they will become monsters. That If you treat someone like an animal, if you lock them in a cage, they're going to start behaving like you locked them in a cage, right? So prison needs to be rehabilitation. It needs to help people, especially if they're 14 years old. Like... Your brain isn't even developed till you're 25. Kids make mistakes, and kids are a product of their environment. And if we are pushing kids out of school and out of the libraries and out of their communities, they're going to make mistakes. So um, what do you think we can do as a community in New Orleans to help kind of stop the prison, school-to-prison pipeline? We we have to first um, we have to first dispel the narratives and you you said it perfectly. So if you if you treat me like I'm a monster, right? Then if I believe, I'll start believing that I am what you treat me like. And so we have to dispel the narratives that kids don't deserve humanity and dignity. And so more more times than not, when the opposition that I met with when we talk about this is, you do the crime, you do the time, or 
they they they're old enough to know not to break into people's cars. Like understood, we get it. We're not talking about not having accountability. We're talking about having services in place to help rehabilitate them, and that's that happens on the back end, but it's supposed to also happen on the front end. And the front end is what people really get hung up on. I think we get caught up in the low hanging fruit. So we don't want to invest proactively because proactive investments we know would help solve the problem we want to wait we want to be reactive and not and let the system work how it's supposed to work so we can get more kids incarcerated so we need to first realize kids are humans and and are supposed to be treated with dignity and we need to make the proper investments in education it's no excuse for kids to go to schools and the schools not be trauma informed it's no excuse for kids to go to schools and kids have one social worker inside of school one counselor but they have ample amount of security guards and officers at the front door with metal detectors and wands what are we saying with our investment we've been telling the same story over and over again we're telling young people we care more we have this idea of what safety looks like we have an idea of what you are and, and and how we view you and this is why these investments are being made and so we continue to go down the same rabbit hole over and over again what do you think we should be doing instead of like what is happening now oh man it's so much um we need to be doing right now um i uh i think that we need to reallocate funds and and have more service it's just like you said like we we continue to divest from things that we need and continue to invest in things that that just causes more harm if i build a prison i have to fill it up right so you if i build this prison i'm more incentivized to fill it up if i build this community center i'm more incentivized to get young people in like it's just different it's all about the intent behind things and i think we continue to fall for what we say in new orleans slang the okie doke so like we continue to feed into these false narratives about our community. And, you know, with this system, um, over we uh, black males are overly represented. So um, if you look at the data, uh, young black men make up our Louisiana youth prison system, like by a long shot. Like it's not even funny. Why is that? Right. Why is this population overly represented in this place right well when you go and look at go into our communities and look at the schools that these kids come from right these kids are not coming from those schools that are like well resourced and have those resources in it they're coming from the schools with the zero tolerance policies they're coming from the communities that's impoverished right so like what are we what's happening how does that intersect what like it's just so layered and we have so much work to do and that's why i, I spoke in our circle about act 1225 and how Act 1225 doesn't just say build a community center. It says you have to raise livable wages, mm-hmm. right? Less, we have to uh, dig up the root causes of why a child would want, would even move in a way, right? Because I tell people all the time who are very punitive uh, oriented, if you, if you really want to feed the narrative that these kids are just horrible people, no matter what the resources are, then, then they're less... Let's invest on the front end so we can prove your point. Let's take away every obstacle possibly that we can system-wise and invest in young people. And if they still make the same decision, then come talk to me. Uh, uh, if that number doesn't drastically decrease, then come talk to me. But until then, we just, we're pulling our ears. We, we decide not to invest in them and we decide to invest in things that harm them and myself because I was going through the school to prison pipeline myself. 
right? It's it's a reality. And I used to I can tell you how many I can't tell you how many times I used to feel away when I passed up these these big schools that were so resourced and I'm in trailers for four years. Right? And I got one counselor and I got security guards patting me down every day. With a blazer and tile, mind you, that America says is like the uniform of success. Right? So just all of those things mentally and psychologically that we do to these young people. Um, and then we expect them to come out and be fully functioning adults is crazy. I think also a big thing is like something my African-American history teacher pointed out is that when people go to prison, they can't vote anymore. So they're taking away a big portion of the voting population that would elect people that can make this change. And then also the 13th Amendment, they're fully legal. They could enslave these people. So... It's all part of a system that has been built on top of each other just to further instill this in concrete for so long. Um, and as long as people who are convicted of crimes cannot vote, then they cannot vote people like Gary Chambers into office mm-hmm. to help fix these problems, yeah. we cannot make change. So I think a big part of this is school to prison pipeline and then voter suppression. It's like you said, it's sadistic. I'm working right now as we speak. Monday morning, I will be in the juvenile courts with a family of a young person who's 15, who's behind bars, right? They cry every time they see him in court. He has some some charges, right? And, and if you look at his charges, you're like, oh my God, these charges are egregious. Like he deserves, like... But when you when you talk to him and you understand the trauma that this young man so so again when people hear trauma and they hear the the, the actual circumstances of young people they see those things as, as excuse, used as excuses to avoid accountability I have to combat this all the time and it's not it's just the reality so if you take a young person with trauma who has to move through society right and they're not getting the proper treatment I don't know how people think stuff works but everybody has a breaking point. We all do, and we all will find coping mechanisms if we cannot get the resources we need. Again, with the school-to-prison pipeline and the trauma, kids who are in poverty, there are people, like, there was a kid at my school who had to, like, stop going to school because she had to work for her family. She's from Honduras, and truancy pulled up at her house, and that's not my school's fault this is system's fault but like it's just part of it i keep saying it's part of a system and additionally like there are kids that steal cars and resell them because they're they're in poverty their family doesn't have the money they need somewhere to get that income and when people keep rejecting you because you don't have experience for a job how are you supposed to get experience right so community centers like new orleans career center they could help you get like a whole degree dual enrollment in high school these are so rare and so hard to come by and hard to get into that it's really a drop in the bucket in the system that we are trying to unpack you're absolutely right. It's it's just um, um unfortunate, and this work is extremely hard because it's not it's not you're not just walking outside and saying uh, we want to abolish prisons and it's, it's not that simple. You legit have to get 
mobilize the people who are directly impacted by this, but you have to we have to unlearn so much in the process. So it's not just going to get the people who have kids incarcerated or the kid, uh, getting the young folks um, and their parents who are experienced this and just going to the Capitol and getting laws changed. No. There's so much work that has to be done on unlearning things, learning about our traumas. It's a piece of this work that people wouldn't understand unless they're in it that we have to go through all of the time. And so the parents in real time have to go from the state capitol where they're holding up signs saying we say holding up signs saying we need to invest in young people and going back to their house with the lights off. Reality is 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 something that I always try to paint for folks when it comes to the work because the reality of the situation is the people that is directly impacted by our youth incarceration system are uh, families who live in poverty, predominantly black families, right, who have been conditioned to believe that it's their fault. And they're not doing something right, and that the system isn't failing them. It's all them, and we have to go and combat those narratives immediately. We have to hear a parent say, "Nah, he's just a bad child," and we have to say, "Nah, he ain't a bad child. He's a kid that made a mistake, like you said, right? It's not a bad child. We're not gonna label him. He made mistakes, but he—that doesn't mean he don't deserve, you know, his humanity and dignity and the resources that he needs. So, yeah, it's it's tough." My school, New Harmony, we do a lot with trying to break our connection to the school to prison pipeline. Um, people don't ever get expelled. People rarely get suspended. My vice principal, her philosophy with that is hurt people hurt people. Some people hurt themselves and some people hurt other people. And so some people inflict harm upon themselves when they are stressed and some people fight other kids when they're stressed. And that's there are kids getting expelled for one fight whenever their dad is like sick. Like there's so many different cases and you never know what's going on in someone's life. Nothing is one-sided and I hate how one-sided the system is. A very important conversation I had with Antonio from Flick, Families and Friends of Louisiana's Incarcerated Children. We had a very important conversation, and I hope you learned something from listening to this conversation. This is very important work, and this work never ends. Um, and this is just a drop in the bucket of what needs to be done to dismantle this system. Thank you. Hi, my name is Riley, a.k.a. DJ Goofball, and today we will be talking about my favorite hero. A hero to me is someone that inspires you, someone who encourages you to do the right thing, not the wrong thing. My hero is my dad because he's really relatable, and when he relates to me, um, I, I understand him better, and he understands me better. It relates to my family and impacts them by they don't have to hear us fuss every morning. And that's really what a hero means to me. Hello, this is DJ Tam and I'm going to be talking about heroes. Not all heroes wear a cape or have the power to fly or turn invisible. Your hero could be someone in your family or one of your friends. For example, my hero is my sister, Ray. I consider my sister my hero because she's relatable. Being relatable is a superpower because it means you can talk to someone. Now it's your turn. Who's your hero? Does your hero have powers? Does your hero wear a cape? Thank you for listening and see you next time. This is DJ Tam, out.
Hey everyone, it's DJ TJ, and today we're going to be talking about my hero, Bob the Builder. So before I tell y'all why Bob the Builder is my hero, we're going to go into what it means for someone to be your hero. A hero is someone who will inspire you, someone you can relate to. Just someone who overall helps build community. And, you know, Bob the Builder, he was one of my childhood figures. He inspired me to get where I am today. He's always helping build the community, him and his friends. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to admire your heroes. Yo, what's up, what's up? It's DJ Rex, and you're rocking with Be Loud Radio. What's up? It's Daisy DeMarcus, Cuts the Third Junior here, a.k.a. Kobe, and today I'm here with Josh at from Comfy Stone. So, Josh, what do you do at Comfy Stone? Uh, we're all about making content, man. That's what we do. We come in, we make great content, and uh, it's all about the videos and producing that out there for the people. What type of content do you like to make? So the kind of content that we love to make is things that involve, you know, social media content. We love making podcast content. So we're all about making great video content for social media that really takes it to the next level. We want our our clients to feel like they're really proud of having great content that really, you know, makes people want to watch. So whether it's food content or any kind of other great stuff like that, that's what we're all about. So at Comfy's Stone, have like name like have you ever worked with like a famous TikToker or somebody that has a big platform actually yeah we have so um we have a great friend of ours who is a tricker you guys know what a tricker is no what is a tricker so a tricker is a guy that does all those flips you know so they're like they're basically like flipping you know back and forth you know so he's a famous guy that does flips and he has about like 500,000 followers on Instagram and we did like a branded content with him and it's always wild to be able to you know but he's so humble at the same time it's great to like be able to do great content with people like that so so basically say if you never got into like making videos for people what do you think you would have done other than this? I think if I wasn't doing this, I would probably be doing something like, um, uh, whether it's like a business coach or something like that. I love to like talk to people and I love to connect with people and I love to help people figure out what they want to do with their lives. Sometimes it's just easy to be a soundboard for people. And for me, I love consulting people on ideas and stuff like that. So if I could be like some kind of incubator for businesses, that's what I would want to do. Well, this is DJ Marcus Kinsley Third Jr. signing off. Thank you, Josh, for letting me interview you. Thank you. And thank you, man. You've been the best. This has been the best time I've ever had in my life. God dang. Wow. So many great ideas. If you were inspired and want to become a B-Loud volunteer or donor, hit us up at beloudstudios.org. Or if you're like, hey, I know somebody at the zoo or I own a haunted house and you want to help B-Loud get there. Contact us at beloudstudios.org or DM us on Instagram at beloudstudios. Thanks for listening.